Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. Well, good morning, everybody. It's time now for children's... Most of us are people of routine. We keep our schedules, we do our jobs, we stay in our own lanes. But sometimes our routines become ruts and we miss God. It takes something big, something extraordinary to get our attention, to wake us up, to make us see beyond ourselves and notice what God is up to. In the book of Acts, we see God do just that, something big and extraordinary. He established and unleashed the church. With just a handful of emboldened eyewitnesses and a story of good news, God forever changed the world. He did more than anyone could have imagined, and he still does today. So don't miss it. Let's open our eyes and see God do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. The book of Acts gives us a recorded history of what God was doing in the first century, and God was doing a lot. If something needed to happen to farther the cause of Christ or to advance the kingdom of God through Jesus on earth, then God would raise men and women up, and he would equip them, and he would empower them, and he would pour his spirit out, and he would fold circumstances together, and he would orchestrate his plans and his will through people. You see, that's the thing about God working in our world. God is working in this world to accomplish his will his plan, his agenda. And it's important for us to remember that. We've been praying this prayer throughout this series, and if you haven't been praying it, it's never too late to pray, so get on board. Here's the prayer. God, help us dare to imagine what you can do. And then God, give us the eyes, give us the faith to see when you do it. It's a prayer of spiritual awareness. It's a prayer of, of opening our eyes and seeing what God is doing. And as we pray that prayer and as we submit to him, we need to realize that we're not lifting our agenda up to God. We are surrendering to his will. Not my will, but your will be done. And that's what prayer is all about. And as we look for God to work in our lives and if we look for God to work in our world, maybe we should set our agenda to the side and just simply see what God is doing and to be a part of what God is doing. In today's text in Acts, we again see God show up and do something big, do something extraordinary, do something that anyone in that day and time and even now as we look back can say that is immeasurably more than what anyone could have imagined. It was a profound, it was a pivotal moment in history. Even our own history, we've seen God open doors. We're about to see him tear down walls. Walls of separation, walls of division. And these walls have been standing for generations. We, as part of the church today, we are directly impacted by what God did back then. We're not only directly impacted as once outsiders, now insiders in the kingdom of God through Jesus, so it doesn't just impact us. If we're honest with ourselves, in many ways, it is an indictment on us. Because we aren't just thankful to be a part 
of God's kingdom. We aren't just thankful to be a part of the church, his covenant people and the new covenant under Christ, but we're also painfully aware that sometimes we aren't as welcoming as we should be. That although we don't want to be on the outside looking in, sometimes we have no problem with pushing others to the outside. And so what God did, as we read in Acts 10 and 11, doesn't just impact us in many ways, it indicts us. In his book, The Church of Us Versus Them, author David Fitch says this about our world, about our society, and its effect on the church. He says, The world is a divided, antagonistic place. Disjuncture and rupture are not merely byproducts of our partisan and blinded social and political engagement. They are the fuel on which they run. Do you see what he's saying there? We all know that our world is divided, that there's so much conflict and chaos. And what he's saying, I think, is so true. He says, our world, our society, our culture doesn't just produce that, it runs on that. So it produces the very thing it runs on, which it then causes it to produce even more conflict and division. But he doesn't stop there. He says the church all too often fumbles over itself, playing culture's game by culture's rules and for culture's ends. It is an indictment. And we don't like to hear that, but if we're honest with ourselves, and we need to be honest with ourselves because the world needs us to be honest with ourselves, we need that. And we will see that sometimes we aren't set apart from a chaotic conflict-ridden world, we are right in the middle of it, participating in it. There are some important questions the church needs to address, questions such as, how have we perpetuated an us-versus-them mentality? When it comes to things such as race and religion, politics, socioeconomics, And what does all of this mean? And how do we move forward? And most of all, what does God have to say about this? These are the questions, among many questions, that we need to be having answers for. We need to be talking about. We need to be having hard conversations. As we say internally here sometimes, it's not just our position, because we're pretty good at that, but what is our posture? What is our posture? A few years ago, I I flew to Albuquerque to speak at a men's event, and I was flying southwest, and if you have flown southwest, you know it's a little different than the other airlines. You don't have assigned seats. It's just pretty much a free-for-all. You have to check in ahead of time, and the order in which you check in then determines your place in line to get on the plane and choose your seat. And if you're late checking in, then you know you get to sit at the very back of the plane next to the bathroom. That's how it goes. On this particular day, I don't know if I didn't set an alarm or I just, I don't know, maybe I snoozed it or I wasn't paying attention. It snuck up on me. So I didn't get checked in as early as I like to get checked in. And so I was pretty far back in the line. And as I'm uh, working towards the line, you know, they put you like cattle in these chutes to be, you know, herded off and branded. And so I'm trying to find my place in my line and I look up and I see someone I recognize in the terminal. It's Mike Gundy the head football coach of the OSU Cowboys. And my first thought was, is he flying southwest with all of us commoners? That's, I, I didn't expect that. Well, he was quickly boarded the plane. I can assure you he was not going to sit at the back next to the bathroom. He and the others pre-boarded, and then it was the, rest, it was the time for the rest of us. And 
By the time I finally got on there and I walked down the little tunnel and I entered the, the big door of the plane and made that turn down the aisle, I started doing what everyone does on Southwest. You start scanning for where am I going to sit? Where am I going to sit? And so I looked to my right. Immediately on the front row right there, there's Coach Gundy sitting all by himself. I was so shocked. No personal assistants, no other coaches with him, no bodyguards, no crazed fans slapping the seat with a paddle. No one was there with him. Now, you need to know that I, if you don't know me, I am a Sooners fan. I have always been a Sooners fan. I grew up in Texas as a Sooner fan, which is not easy to do. My dad was a Sooner fan. And for all of you legalists out there, I have a degree from OU, so I'm legitimate, okay? <laughs> He's an OSU cowboy. I'm a Sooner. So I'm thinking, you know, I, I can't sit by him. But then I look at the leg room in the front row. And quickly I'm thinking, pistols firing. <laughs> Which, by the way, is something you do not want to say on a plane, I learned. <laughs> so I said, you know what, I'm going to sit down right here by him. And so I, I, he was sitting next to the window. I didn't want to sit in the middle chair right next to him because that would have been awkward for him, probably more awkward for me. And so I sat there in the aisle and no one filled that extra seat in the middle because I was almost last getting on the plane. And so I sat pretty much next to Coach Gundy for the entire flight. And I, you know, I didn't want to annoy him. I didn't want to bother him. And, but I did think about, you know, maybe I should bring up my years coaching eight-man football at OCA and see if he needs any tips about football, but I didn't. I didn't go there. I just sort of asked him some questions. We had a little small talk. They were on their way. He was on his way for a Big 12 coaches meeting, I think, in Phoenix. And then I, you know, asked him some other questions, but pretty much left him to himself to, uh, to enjoy the flight. He, he wasn't very chatty, which I didn't expect him to be. But as I thought about that, I thought, you know, the two of us, adversaries, we're supposed to be enemies, and here we are sitting next to each other. What brought us together? It was a common destination. That's what we had in common, a common destination. We were going the same place. As a passenger, I don't get to choose who is on the plane, do I? But I can choose who I sit by and how I treat them. And that's what today's message is all about. You see, as God is unleashing the church in the world during the first century, many of the Jews, they only wanted to travel with people just like them. In their minds, these Gentiles, anyone who wasn't a part of the Jewish community, anyone who didn't keep the Jewish laws and customs, those Gentiles, they were going to a different destination. And they certainly weren't going to travel with us. We weren't going to sit by them. We didn't want them on the plane. We're not concerned about them. There is us, and there is them, and we should keep our distance. But God had different plans. Like he did at the ancient city of Jericho, God was about to bring down some walls. It started with a vision, a vision from God to a man named Cornelius. Cornelius was a Roman centurion, which obviously meant he was a Gentile, as a Roman centurion, he was over 100 Roman soldiers, so he was a military leader. 
But the text tells us even though he was a Gentile, he was what is called a God-fearer. It's a label, it's a name that the Jews would give Gentiles who recognized the authority of Yahweh God. Someone who would leave their own pagan gods, which is what this military leader did, which is, by the way, remarkable. Leave their pagan gods behind, recognize and acknowledge the Jewish God, which we know is more than just the Jewish God. He is Yahweh God, the God of the universe. And yet this person wouldn't fully integrate into Jewish society, although they would try to keep some of the customs they wouldn't become fully Jewish, which meant basically they weren't circumcised. Cornelius is a Gentile. He is a God-fearer. He's a good good guy. He prays to God. He gives to the poor. He's what we would consider a good guy. But that's not enough, is it? That's not enough. He needs Jesus. Like each and every one of us, being good is not good enough. Cornelius needed Jesus and one day when he's praying God appears to him with a vision and in this vision he tells Cornelius you need to send for a guy named Simon Peter because Simon Peter has a very important message that you need to hear and we know what that message is because we have it right here in our text Cornelius didn't know what that message was God of course knew what the message was He says, send for Simon Peter. He will give you that message. And a part of me says, God, why didn't you just tell him right then the message? Why didn't your angel, this voice from heaven, why didn't in this vision, why didn't you just give him the gospel, tell him all about Jesus? Isn't it remarkable that throughout Scripture, God doesn't use his angels to tell about Jesus? Who does he use? He uses us. He uses us, people, flawed, with so many failures, weaknesses, struggles. He chooses to use us as his messengers of the good news. If Peter had a special message for Cornelius, he didn't know it at the time. He didn't even know who Cornelius was, but God was up to something. Remember, God was working. He was coordinating events. He was folding together circumstances. He was arranging another divine appointment. Chapter 10 of Acts, verse 9. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey approaching the city, this is the messengers of Cornelius going to find this guy, Simon Peter. As they're on their way, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to the earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. Peter, true to form, responds with surely not, Lord. Just like his life, his response is a mixed message, a jumbled up mess. Surely not doesn't go with Lord. If you're claiming someone is Lord, what you say is whatever you want. Lord, I submit to you. If you tell me to jump, I'll jump. But what does Peter say? I don't think so, Lord. Surely not, Lord. That's not not the way it works, God. Also, this isn't the first time Peter has said that. 
to his Lord, is it? When Jesus said, I'm going to have to go and die, what did Peter say? Nope, nope, not on my watch. Surely not, Lord. When Jesus said, I'm going to wash your feet, what did Peter say? Nope, nope, not my feet. But maybe what Peter says here, and maybe his response, maybe it's not defiance. Maybe he's simply reacting to years and years of conditioning. You see, Jews did not eat food that was not kosher, nothing unclean. There were very strict dietary laws as a part of their law, the law of Moses. But God had a response for Peter's resistance. Verse 15, the voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back up to heaven. (laughs) My guess is three was not Peter's favorite number. He struggled with that number, didn't he? There were several times when three times really were a curse for him. And it took three times for many times Jesus to get his message across. It took three times for it to sink in. It's starting to sink in. Clearly, this vision is not so much about animals. It's not about food. What is it about? It's about people. It's about God's kingdom. And God is impressing on Peter's heart and on his mind that the people he sees as unclean, as unworthy, as outsiders, those people are being welcomed with open arms into the kingdom. And while Peter's trying to wrap his mind around this because it is so different, it is such a, a shift of paradigm, while he's trying to understand this, all of a sudden there is what? There's a knock at the door. Remember, God is working. God is orchestrating. God is accomplishing his will. It's the two servants sent by Cornelius. And so God tells Peter, hey, you're going to want to answer that. And you're going to... You need to go with them. And so Peter goes downstairs, he opens the door, and he says, hey guys, why are you here? Verse 22, the men replied, we have come from Cornelius, the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. Now, it's easy just to keep reading and advance the story, but we need to pause right there because something important is happening. Something significant is happening. What's happening? Peter, a Jewish man, has invited these Gentiles into the house. That didn't happen. That wasn't supposed to happen. That shouldn't happen. It couldn't happen. There was no means for that to happen. There were rules, there were customs, there were guidelines, there were traditions, there were social norms. Peter, what are you doing? See, God is working on Peter's heart. God is opening his eyes. It will take some time. Overcoming prejudice always does. But we begin to see a change of heart. He defies social norms and he welcomes these Gentiles, these unclean Gentiles into the house. And surely they had table fellowship together. Isn't this a a strange crowd? I wonder what their conversation was like around the table. I mean, think about who's in this house. It's It's like a bad reality show. 
you have an apostle, you have Simon the Tanner. A tanner is someone who kills animals or takes dead animals and skins them and uses that hide for canvas and tents. So already he is, he is marginalized from society because of his work. And then you have two servants of Cornelius, this Roman centurion, this Gentile, and then you have a Roman guard. Who's going to be voted out first? <laughs> Strange crowd, isn't it? But see, that's what God does. God brings people together who don't normally go together. God brings unity where there is such diversity. That's the work of God that people like this could be in the same room together. Look around. We have some diversity. We need more diversity. And only God brings diverse people together with a common goal, a common destination, a common faith. To overcome all the social norms, all the expectations, all that culture says and society says that we should be mindful of and put up those walls and draw those lines and God says, no, that's not what my kingdom's about. Isn't it amazing the people that God brings together? The next day, Peter obeys God. Unlike the ancient prophet Jonah, when he was told to leave Joppa and go preach to Gentiles, Peter leaves Joppa. And he makes the 30-mile trip to Caesarea. And when he arrives, he finds this Roman military leader gathered with friends and family. He's invited them all over, awaiting, anticipating Peter's arrival. And more than that, the message he has, this word from God that he has, what is Peter going to say? And Peter steps into this moment with a crowd ready and waiting for him to speak. Verse 28, he said to them, you're all well aware that is against our law for a Jew to associate with or to visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objections. May I ask you why you sent me? <laughs> Peter's still trying to piece all of this together. God knows what he's doing as he works in the world, but Peter, who is a part of it, he can't see the full picture, just like we can't see the full picture. So he's trying to piece this thing together and he says, what am I doing here? Why did you sin for me? Peter doesn't know exactly what's happening, but he knows the landscape is changing. The tide is turning. The lines are being blurred and the walls are starting to crumble. You see, he's beginning to see that us versus them merge into we. And God is behind it all. Cornelius speaks up. Well, Peter, let me tell you something. God hasn't just been working on you and giving you visions. God has been talking to me too. God has been working on me. And he told us that you have something that we need, that you have a message that we need to hear. So we are here. We're gathered. What is it? And that's when it happens. That's when Peter finally realizes what God is doing what started with his own vision, a very strange vision with a sheet and animals has now been confirmed by this Gentile man's testimony. God is behind this. 
There are no lines of distinction. There is no longer any Jew or Gentile. There's no more clean and unclean. There's just we, we, who call on the name of the Lord. Verse 34, then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. What a profound truth spoken. The heart of God is for all people. And the work of God is bringing people to himself, into fellowship with each other and with God. That word in this text, favoritism, it's the same word that James would use later in his letter when he says, when someone's in your assembly and they look like they have a little more well-to-do, there's a little more about them, don't treat them differently. Don't give them the best seat in the house. You see, that word means to show partiality. But if you look at the negative side of that, it's to show prejudice, especially based on outward appearance, outward circumstances, observable things such as skin color, socioeconomic level, ethnicity, appearance. Now seeing what God was doing, Peter finally gets on board And he tells this crowd of Gentiles the beautiful message of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, the message that brings life and light, not just to one corner of the world, but illuminates the entire world. These Gentiles, you don't have to become Jews to be accepted by God. You don't have to keep our laws and our customs. You don't have to be circumcised. God welcomes you into the family into the kingdom and like he did for the Jews at Acts chapter 2 God pours his spirit out here for the Gentiles confirming in a visible way to Peter and to others that God is truly behind this and Peter baptizes them into Christ just like at Pentecost with the Jews in fact it has been called this in chapter 10 has been called the Gentile Pentecost from this point on the gospel is preached not just to Jews, but to all the world. Just as Jesus commissioned his followers to do at the end of Matthew's gospel and at the beginning of Acts when he says, you will be my witnesses, not just here in Jerusalem and Judea, but Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And that's exactly what happened. But as we all know, prejudice doesn't disappear so quickly, does it? When the other apostles and the Jewish Christians hear about all of these things happening, they are not very happy. You would expect them to celebrate more people in the kingdom of God, right? That's a good thing. We should celebrate. We have questions. We have concerns. Peter, what's going on here? We heard that you were associating with people who are unclean. Is that true? Chapter 11 opens with verse 2. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem... The circumcised believers criticized him. And they said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and you ate with them. And so Peter says, whoa, wait just a second. Let me give you the whole story. Let me tell you how God was moving. Let me tell you how God was orchestrating this whole thing. And then Peter concludes with this statement in verse 17. He says this, who was I 
to think that I could stand in God's way. Who in the world am I to say that if God wants to accomplish something, if God wants to do something, if God wants to erase lines and tear down walls, who am I to stand in his way? And then the others get on board. Now you talk about doing something immeasurably more than anyone could have imagined. We're talking about generational prejudice here. We're talking about years and years of us and them, clean and unclean. What an incredible series of events that changed history. What happened that day made it possible for us, because we are on the outside, as most of us probably here, Gentiles, made a way for us to no longer be on the outside looking in. God has welcomed us into his kingdom through Jesus So what was it that convinced Peter? What was it that changed his heart and his mind to go against everything they knew that he knew and that he believed and that the others believed to embrace these Gentiles, to cross social boundaries and ethnic divisions, to do the unexpected, to overcome these generations of prejudice? What was it? It was the work of God. They couldn't deny what God wanted. They couldn't deny what God was doing. To quote Peter, who am I? Who am I to stand in God's way? Listen, that's the declaration that we need to make today. In this chaotic cultural moment of division and drawing lines and yelling at each other, who are we to stand in the way of God? Who are we to build walls where God is tearing them down? Who are we to treat people differently and poorly and disrespectfully because they have a different skin color or nationality? Who are we to look down on someone else's culture because it doesn't align with my culture and what my preferences are? Who are we to join in the divisive rhetoric of a world that disguises hatred and bigotry as acceptable and noble and who values self-glorification over glorifying God. Who are we to stand in God's way? You see, God is drawing people to himself, all people. Read the end of Revelation. See who is gathered at the throne room of God. How dare we get in his way? God is not drawing lines and putting up walls. Those things are done by narrow-minded people, and sometimes, unfortunately, even people who claim to follow Jesus. Now, most of us would agree with all of those statements. Most of us would say, absolutely, the more the merrier. God intended for all to come to Christ, all to be accepted into his kingdom, no matter where they're from, what they look like, how much money they have or don't have, no matter what the color of their skin, God wants all people in his kingdom. Amen. We agree with that. We're okay with them being on the plane. But if we're honest, we're not going to go out of our way to make sure they make it on. And we're certainly not going to just willfully sit by them. I want you to notice something about this story. In that odd vision that Peter has, this sheet coming down with the animals on it, it's always strange. And I love to see the 
the teachers of our kids' classes try to illustrate that. It's always interesting. In this strange vision that God gives Peter, God isn't just making an announcement to Peter. He wasn't just saying, hey, Peter, I want you to know that I'm expanding the borders of my kingdom. My kingdom will be a kingdom of inclusion. And now the Gentiles, yeah, they were once out. Now they're in. So just wanted you to know. No, no. This isn't an announcement. This is an enlistment. God was commissioning Peter to carry out this radical redefinition of what it meant to be God's covenant people. Peter wasn't just hearing about it. He was supposed to help make it happen. That's why God had already sent people to the door. That's why they were knocking on the door. That's why God was telling Peter, you have something that you need to tell them. Go with them. That's why people were waiting on him, gathered to hear this message. That's why Peter makes this 30-mile journey. But in reality, it was more like a million miles from where he was. Because God wanted him to be a part of this, to embody this truth of the inclusion of the kingdom of God. Church, we need to do more than just talk. We need to do more than just talk of inclusion and reconciliation. Each one of us in our daily choices and our daily interactions is being called upon by God to see the value in all people and to treat them with genuine love and respect and dignity. And to do that in the name of Jesus and for the cause of Christ. And to share Jesus. Embody the good news and share the good news of Jesus. You want to stand out from a world? The ecclesia, the church, is supposed to be called out from the world? Then why do we act just like the world so often? You want to stand out? Then you be kind to people that no one expects you to be kind to then you extend grace to someone that everyone expects you to push away. Then you be inclusive with people who are always on the out group looking in. You want the church to make a difference in this world? You want people to come to Christ? Then let God use you. Not as one who draws lines and builds walls, but as one who builds bridges and extends grace and love, and mercy. You see, in Christ, us versus them merges into we. What brings us together? Our common destination. Listen to these words. They're not on the screen, but it's Paul's words in Galatians 3. Listen to what he says. He says, so in Christ Jesus... You were all children of God. He said you were all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. He says what brings us together is Jesus. There's not these divisions that we try to make. We are all one in Christ. So what are you doing to break the divide? 
What are you doing as a messenger of the gospel of Jesus Christ? To bring peace where there is so much chaos and conflict. What are you doing? You see, we, we don't get to pick. We don't get to choose who's on the plane. But we can choose where we sit. And we can choose how we treat people. This week, as you go out into the world, pray that prayer. God, help me to dare, dare to imagine what you can do. And God, give me the faith, give me the eyes to see what you're doing. And remember what we said at the beginning? God works in this world according to his agenda, his will. And maybe this week, his will for you is to be this messenger of peace and unity. To not do and act like the world would suggest, like culture would suggest, but to be different, to be holy, to be set apart. Maybe that's God's agenda for you this week because you're going to have opportunities. You're going to have opportunities for interactions, for invitations, for conversations. And you can either use those as opportunities to embody and share the good news of Jesus or you can dismiss them and use them to promote self or to promote your agenda or even worse, to push people away. So what are you going to do? No more us versus them. It's we. If we can encourage you today, let us do that. Maybe today you're ready to be clothed with Christ. We just read that phrase. That's such a beautiful phrase. Clothed with Christ, baptized into Christ. Maybe today you're ready to confess your faith in Jesus. And you're ready, like that crowd of Gentiles, to be baptized into Christ. Don't delay. Maybe you need prayers, you need support, maybe you need some time to confess struggles, sins. We want to be here for you. A couple of our shepherds and their wives will be in the parlor. It's a little space right behind me in this hallway. You can exit in just a minute when we stand up. You can go around the auditorium and go in there in privacy, and they'll receive you and encourage you and pray for you. Or you can come down to the front, and we'll do the same as a church family. If there's something we can do for you today, if you want to be a part of what God is doing today, we invite you to come. Let's stand and sing. A common love for each other, a common give to the Savior, a common bond holding us to the Lord.